Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance as I am on a journey. A journey for more light, but more especially light that has been lost, forgotten, or hidden among the ages gone by. The light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose. Light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and I want to thank you for joining us again for Episode 5 as we continue our quest for Historical Light. Now, today's episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Masonic Revival. You can find them online at MasonicRevival.com. If you're looking for anything from Masonic bow ties, neckties, lapel pins, or so much more, uh, they even do custom work. Masonic Revival is the place you want to be. You're going to find some amazing quality, awesome products with unique designs you're not going to find anywhere else. And it's really something you're going to be proud to wear and really honored to show off to your brethren at your next Masonic meeting or event. So check them out today, MasonicRevival.com. And you know what? Pick up a couple extra ties because Masonic Revival threw in a promo code for us so you can get free shipping on your entire order. So if you use the promo code HLIGHT on your next order, it will give you free shipping. That's H-Lite, all one word. So go there today, MasonicRevival.com, and get some amazing products. Now, if you like what you see here at Historical Light and would like to personally contribute to the efforts of the show, you can do so on our website, HistoricalLight.com. Up at the top, click on Support the Show, and then click on Donate. There you'll have the ability to donate in a one-time or reoccurring fashion through PayPal. Uh, any money received does go 100% back into the show uh, to offset the overall costs, such as the website hosting, audio podcast hosting, equipment upkeep, and more. Um, we are an independent operation here, so we very much appreciate any assistance you're willing to give to uh, keep, the, keep the lights on here at the Historical Light Studios. With that said, let's jump into the show, as we always do, by checking with our friends over at MasonryToday.com to see just what happened in Masonic history today. Today in Masonic history, Benjamin Alden Bidlack passes away in 1849. Benjamin Alden Bidlack was an American politician and diplomat. Bidlack was born September 8, 1804 in Paris, New York. His family moved to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, where he attended school. He graduated from Wilkes-Barre Academy, and after graduating, he began uh, to study law. In 1825, Bidlack passed the bar. The same year, he was elected as a district attorney of Luzine County, Pennsylvania. In 1830, Bidlack moved to Milford, Pennsylvania, and in 1834, he served as Pike County Treasurer. 1835, Bidlack returned to Wilkes-Barre. That same year, he was elected to the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. He would serve there from 1835 to 1836. He was also the editor of the Republican Farmer and the Democratic Journal in Wilkes-Barre. In 1840, Bidlack was elected to the United States House of Representatives as a Democrat. He served there for the 27th and 28th Congresses. 
1845, he was appointed as uh, Chargé d'Affaires for Colombia, a temporary diplomatic position to replace an ambassador. There, he successfully negotiated the Treaty of New Granada. At the time, New Granada encompassed what is modern-day Colombia and Panama. One of the big items in the treaty allowed the United States to build a railroad or canal through Panama. Bidlack passed away February 6, 1849. He was a member of Lodge No. 61 in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. So thank you to our friends at masonaday.com for that great article. Uh, check them out at their website and on social media, and don't forget to subscribe so you can keep up with them on a daily basis. What they're doing over there is a huge feat, and we really appreciate their efforts in doing so. Now, we have an exciting announcement for those of you who may have noticed wearing the shiny new lapel pin. It is the official historical light lapel pin. I know some of you guys have emailed me and messaged me asking if we have one or when we're going to get one. Well, it's finally here. Our friends at Masonic Revivals helped us create this amazing lapel pin. We're really excited about it and stoked to get it released to you. We'll have it for sale on our website for $10. Um, we're still working on getting the store section of the site kind of set up and programmed, but just as soon as we get that, it will be available to you, hopefully within the, within the next week. So definitely keep checking back in with us, and we'll let you know just as soon as that is available. Now, if you're not following us on social media, please stop the video right here. Go over to Facebook, like us subscribe on YouTube and follow us so you can keep up with us and get the first word of that. As soon as this is ready, you'll, you'll know about it. That's the best way to keep up. I definitely hope you guys get one of these lapel pins and wear them to lodge. Let your brethren know about us and direct them our way. And hopefully they enjoy it as much as you do. Um, but with that said, definitely let's get into the meat and potatoes of tonight's episode. We're going to be having a nice little conversation with Right Worshipful Herb Merrick. He is a member of Hancock Lodge number 311 that is located on Fort Leavenworth Base here in Kansas. Has some awesome history, and we're going to let him tell us a little bit more about it. So with no further ado, we'll jump over, and I hope you enjoy tonight's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we are honored to have with us Right Worshipful Herb Merrick. And if you don't mind, Brother Merrick, I'll pass it over to you. If you can go and introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about you. Okay. Uh, Herb Merrick, I'm a member of Hancock Lodge, number 311, up on Fort Leavenworth here in, uh, in Kansas. I've been involved in masonry for about 41 years. Started out in small town uh, Missouri and uh, a little lodge in, in Forsyth. And then... Uh, well, when I graduated college, I entered the Army, and so I got to visit lots of lodges, actually joined uh, an American-Canadian Grand Lodge of German Lodge when I, I spent five years in Germany. Wow. I retired into, uh, uh, from Fort Leavenworth. While I was assigned there, uh, I just was literally walking down the street and saw that there was a Masonic Lodge on post, and so I uh, started attending lodge there. Uh, joined and uh, have been fairly active, uh, was master back in uh, 04, and then uh, we had a line break in 09, and I got to do it again one more time real fast, um, and, and have just, you know, just had a great time uh, visiting, have been really interested all my life in history in general, and then uh, Masonic history in particular. And when I got here, uh, it's sort of, you know, when you belong to a lodge that's that's got 
uh, a little over a hundred and when I joined about a hundred and ten years of history now uh, about a hundred and thirty years of history you start seeing things around the lodge and you go well gosh uh, who's that or uh, how did that happen or you know that and some of the members will point you to things uh, we're really lucky in that we have a very good historical library on the installation. Wonderful. And over the years, a lot of materials have been deposited in that library. So in their uh, archive, one of their archive sections, I found the original program for the dedication of the lodge, which had a lot of really interesting things about who was there that day and all the other stuff. And so in looking around, I just got really fascinated in who were some of the members uh, some of them really well known historically some of them not so well known historically and uh, got it into it so uh, Hancock of course is, is named after Winfield Scott Hancock uh, most famous for commanding the fifth corps uh, the Army of the Potomac and uh, being the focus of Pickett's charge at Gettysburg sure. uh, but he also ran for president and just barely uh, got defeated was a very active Mason was a Pennsylvania Mason as a, as a matter of fact uh, then you get interested uh, there was a picture in the lodge uh, of a guy named uh, Woodruff Carly Augustus Woodruff and looking around he was the first master of the lodge and one of the guys who got it started and looking at his picture being military I recognized that he was a had been awarded the Medal of Honor and I said well there's got to be a great story with this guy and so I got to go research uh, the first master of the lodge and yeah lo and behold there's a there's a great story in there um, and then Daniel Hall Boughton who the buildings named after uh, had a uh, fascinating story one of the people who uh, found masonry kind of in midlife and became just really one of the active masons both uh, in the Blue Lodge and in the Scottish Rite in particular and that's developed and I've come to the conclusion that every lodge has a lot of these stories some of them have more than others but everybody's got some really interesting folks in their lodge not only today but but definitely back in its history definitely well I, I can 100 percent relate with you on the historical love um, that is probably the biggest hook for me coming into masonry just so much history and honor behind it and that's really what spawned me to start doing this show is to really expound on and share that history from lodges worldwide there's so much of it out there but for you yourself what would you say actually enticed you to become a freemason in the very first place when you uh, when you were growing up as i said in small town missouri all the people that you knew all mm -hmm. the people that were kind of I, I wouldn't necessarily say heroes but definitely all the people you respected you know i i would see them at the lodge my uh, my father believed that uh, young men have strong backs and should be there to help so i spent a lot of time around the lodge meeting all these guys and it was like okay these are the people that I want to be like and and that's what motivated me into it not only was it the family thing and I think we all kind of respect our fathers more or less right and, but it was literally everyone that I knew uh, that was 
anybody that that I was really interested in, in emulating, I, I could find them up in the lodge. And so it was like, okay, well, these are the guys uh, I want to hang around with. You know, I want, you know, in those days I was thinking I'd probably grow up and continue to run the family farm. Uh, I got to <laughs> continue to run the family farm, just run it from Kansas. <laughs> uh, but you know, and I'm still in contact with uh, with all those folks uh, today. You know, guys I grew up with uh, joined the lodge. People that that I'd I'd run around with uh, as a kid, just sort of the thing everybody did because it was the social center of the community in those days. And uh, of course, the community has grown a lot larger, but it still has a tremendously active uh, active lodge down there. In fact, it's probably one of the few lodges in the country that was built by and for them, but by the uh, county government. Really? There's, there's a great story behind uh, try, uh, the, the lodge in the county uh, trying to switch property deeds because the county was trying to build something as it grew in the 80s and uh, the lodge was sitting there and they uh, they came to an agreement and uh, eventually the way they they solved the problem is just a switch of deeds tell us what you want your lodge to look like we'll build a lodge and we'll switch deeds with you and then we'll take the old one and you get the new one and basically in those days what they were uh, looking for was a, a lodge on one floor so that right. you didn't have to go up and down steps, and so uh, they got the uh, the county to build them one, and it's uh, a pretty standard lodge format thing. But uh, that's sort of how I got started in all this. And then, as as you went along uh, in life, you would run into people. As I, as I said, I spent twenty four years in the army, so you would bump into people, and you get talking. They go, "Oh, you're a Freemason. Well, so am I." <laughs> hey, uh, I go to lodge here. Would you you, you like to uh, you know? Why don't you come come visit my lodge since you're stationed here? Um, the lodge I got active with in in Germany um, was kind of an interesting story. The uh, one of the guys that worked with my wife noticed that she was wearing an Eastern Star ring, and he says, "Oh, is your husband a Mason?" I worked on a different concern, and she goes, oh, yes, well, oh, well, let me come over and talk to him. I'd, I'd like him to come visit our lodge. And it's uh, most German lodges, uh, the majority, three of the five grand jurisdictions in Germany do in German. And while I speak a little German, I don't think I could keep up with the ritual at all in Auf Deutsch. And so... Uh, the American Canadian is an English speaking lodge. And okay. so, um, we got to, uh, I got going there and, uh, it's the first time I ever got to be a lodge secretary. Uh, there's a kind of a great story behind that. A, a fellow named Gunther Brandenburg, a very good German name until you find out he grew up in Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, <laughs> was, was, the secretary of the lodge. He'd been the secretary there for seven or eight years, and his job was going to put him on the road. So he talked me into replacing him. He said, just for a couple of years, you know, while you finish your tour here, you can be the lodge secretary. That's when I discovered he was the outstanding secretary of the American Canadian Grand Lodge for five years running, and they just retired his trophy. Oh, and wow. They got, and they got me. 
to this day, I still correspond with a fellow who was Grand Secretary in those days. He and I still talk occasionally Amazing. because we spent a whole lot of time talking to each other as I learned how to be a secretary. I can imagine. Well, it sounds like you've had uh, quite an accomplished time through Freemasonry. And I, re I really think it's cool that it wasn't only your family history, but the other men within the lodge that you really ended up looking up to that brought you into your Masonic career. So that is that is very cool. Now, if we can uh, segue in, the reason we got you here today, uh, you are extremely passionate about your lodge, which is a very cool one to bring up. You're a member of Hancock Lodge number 311, and that is located on Fort Leavenworth Base. Uh, so if you don't mind, let's uh, hear a little bit about how that lodge got started. Okay. Uh, Leavenworth, of course, is kind of the home of Kansas masonry written large. Uh, Leavenworth, number two of the first three lodges in, uh, in Kansas, you had uh, one of them in Leavenworth. Well, eventually there's three, uh, at, up until the 1990s, there were three lodges in the city of Leavenworth. Okay. Uh, a lodge in Lansing, which is... Okay, you can't tell the difference between Leavenworth and Lansing unless you catch the sign. There's a lodge in Easton. And in the 1890s, um, they decided, the Masons who were on the post, decided that they needed to get a, um, a lodge started there. Uh, basically, it even though it's today... Uh, a five or six minute drive in those days it was a 15 minute to two hour horse ride to get down into Leavenworth from the fort so the the masons on the fort decided in 1889 that they would start uh, getting together and establish a lodge so uh, they start the the first master there was uh, Carly Augustus Woodruff uh, who was commanding the second artillery regiment on post at that time. So he was one of the senior officers on the post. It's interesting, the other regiment that was on post that time was commanded by another Mason, Arthur MacArthur, Douglas MacArthur's father was there. So uh, okay. that was, uh, you know, everybody uh, pretty much, if you go look at the, the post, were, were involved somewhere along the line. So anyway, um, Woodruff starts the lodge there and is the first master, uh, actually serves a two-year term, probably not unusual for, for new lodges. Even if you were to start one today, it'd probably take a year or two that you use the initial officers. And uh, he's got about 45 uh, folks who come in who are master masons from literally all over the United States who are all assigned to the fort, either in military units or in some sort of governmental capacity. So you, you find the telegraph agent and a train agent and a p person in the survey office, and there's just a lot of, a lot of different folks. So that's the, the lodge starts uh, there on, on the installation. They buy furniture. Initial records are, are fascinating because, uh, you know, you read the minutes and they spend $2.50 to get coal and, you know, uh, that. Uh, they have a rather long discussion and eventually get the post's permission to install electric lights in the building that is housing the lodge because at that time they didn't have electric lights in that building, and the Masons decided that they were going to install it even though it wasn't their building. Hmm. And so uh, it, it comes along, and basically you get the Spanish-American War uh, 
kicks in there and you get a lot of transient and the lodge really starts to grow uh, in that period in the 1890s early uh, 1900s and that's where uh, the fellow Daniel Hall Boughton comes in. Boughton arrives on the post, he's a cavalry officer He's assigned to the school there, the Command and General Staff College, initially as a lawyer. And it, it's kind of interesting, how does a uh, West Point Cavalry officer become a lawyer when those days there's no retirement plans in the military? And so you got to, as you're going along up through it, you got to figure out what are you going to do when you, uh, when you leave the service. And so evidently Boughton's original plan was probably to become a lawyer. So okay. he's sent there to teach law principally contracting because there's a lot of problems uh, with the armies of, uh, in the Philippines and in Cuba with guys letting contracts not knowing how to do it so he teaches law then becomes the director of the tactics department then becomes the assistant deputy commandant the number two uh, uh, director in uh, the greater part of the college he also uh, becomes a member of Hancock Lodge and at that time, the Army Consistory of the Scottish Rite. So he joins both the Scottish Rite and uh, becomes a member of the Lodge. Evidently, this is one of those periods when everybody's moving a lot. And so during the time he's master, he has to physically uproot the Lodge and move it at least two times, according to the records, possibly oh, wow. a third, into different parts of the building as they reorder installation into different buildings and he comes up and in his part of his uh, farewell address to the lodge he says I don't know how we we're going to do it but we need to get our own building and in order to build our own building we need to start money and, and collecting money so I suggest that we start a building fund and so he's the one who comes up with the idea again nobody has any idea of how you're going to build a building on a military installation Right. You know, it's it's a challenge. Well, things come along. Uh, Boughton uh, is sent to Carlisle Barracks, which is the home of the Army War College, uh, to write what is known in those days as the Field Service Regulations. It's the doctrine for the Army. He's the head of the Army writing team for that. And then becomes the Provost Marshal General of the Philippines. So he's the Chief Law Enforcement Officer for the uh, Territory of the Philippines. Uh, while he's there, he contracts malaria. That causes him to have a heart condition that, because today's only treatment for malaria is quinine. It just sort of alleviates the symptoms. Anyway, develops a heart condition, is selected for command of a regiment. He's now a full colonel. This is uh, about 1912. Okay. Um, and... Um, on the advice of his doctor and his experience in the Spanish-American War, he selects the 10th Cavalry. Even though he was an officer of the 3rd Cavalry, that wasn't open. The position in the 10th was open. He had served with the soldiers of the 10th. Again, kind of fascinating because that's an African-American uh, regiment at the time. Uh, goes to Fort Echuca, assumes command on 1 August 1914, kind of an important historic date. On the 14th of August, he is walking to the parade field from his quarters to do a regimental parade and has either a massive stroke or a massive coronary and passes away. Oh, wow. Uh, he is uh, buried in uh, Arlington uh, Cemetery. Uh, his tombstone's there. I've actually visited it. It's uh, about 
oh, I'd say four feet wide, three and a half feet uh, tall, two feet in, in thickness. It is a Masonic and a Scottish Rite tombstone. Really? So when you you go there, it, it actually overlooks the Tomb of the Unknowns. It's on the hill to the uh, south and west of the Tomb of the Unknowns there, up uh, on a little cul-de-sac within in the uh, in the cemetery cemetery there. Uh, his two half brothers, who were also very active Masons, although eight Masons in uh, Ohio, um, come. Uh, they're also Army officers. And he's buried by a large group of his friends. Uh, according to the the writing, 200 members of, and I don't remember the number, it's the Arlington Lodge, march in his funeral procession. The uh, piece that's written there says, um, no one there knew him other than they knew of his work as a mason. And... So they all came out to honor him. Wow, that's very an impressive turnout. Yeah. So you you figure he had a he had a band uh, from the engineer regiment uh, at Fort Belvoir, two hundred Masons in full regalia, which is how the article is written. I have no idea what they meant by that, but I'm presuming it's aprons and gloves, sure, uh, uh, marching be behind the caisson uh, when he was uh, interred. Again. Fascinating uh, stories that, that come with the lodge. As you get into it, uh, you notice that there are other people who are pretty famous that, that have sat in that uh, lodge. We have a whole set of minutes from uh, the 1927-28 years uh, where the assistant to the secretary uh, writes the minutes. Uh, this guy was uh, Omar Bradley. Wow. Uh, you know, who uh, eventually becomes famous as the first uh, chief chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, as well as chief of the Army Staff. Um, he was in there. His classmate, they, he joined the Scottish Rite at Fort Leavenworth uh, with another guy who becomes pretty, uh, pretty famous, which is uh, uh, Henry Hap Arnold. So both of them were in the same Scottish Rite class uh, in the Army Scottish Rite uh, on the installation. Uh, so as you, you go through, uh, you dig around, there are uh, a number of other um, Masons, well-known, not so well-known, uh, that go there. We've had two members, uh, two other members besides Woodruff of the Lodge who uh, were awarded the Medal of Honor, uh, both of those out of the Spanish-American War. Uh, besides Arnold, who was Chief of Staff of the Air Force, and Bradley, who was Chief of Staff of the Army, Harold K. Johnson uh, was also a member there. He was, uh, during most of the Vietnam War, wow. he was the Chief of Staff of the Army. And then in the early 70s, uh, John Warner, uh, who is also a member of the Lodge and Chief of Staff of the Army, were there. And then as you dig through it, um, Mark Clark was also a member there who uh, commanded the 5th Army in World War II in um, uh, Italy. So it, you get in there, and the more you, d you dig into it, the more of these really fascinating, interesting members uh, of the military are in there. But also there's, there's a lot of other folks who, who go through there who are just good, solid citizens, people that you would like to know who were members of the Lodge. Uh, you read the early minutes, and we literally have all of the minutes uh, to the founding of the Lodge. 
in there and you can sit down and read them. They are something of a challenge because the secretaries just have beautiful penmanship, but it's all in just beautiful cursive and that can be very hard to read anymore. <laughs> it can. I've dealt with that going through uh, my lodge's history books and you can definitely tell from secretary to secretary. You can read this one perfectly and not quite sure what happened in this year. <laughs> yeah, and you and you go in there and you and you you see things that we talk about even today. There's uh, one of the real poignant ones uh, is a uh, a piece in there where uh, they are sending uh, a member of the lodge who actually dies in San Francisco, uh, but his family can't afford to bring him back, so the lodge collects the money and arranges for the transportation of the remains back to the family home because he was considered such a good and active member of the lodge. Not a famous guy, just a good solid member uh, who was remembered and then when it happened, you know, somebody uh, stepped up and said, you know, let us let us do what's right here. Sure. And then, uh, of course, what happens with, with Bowton is uh, with to kind of get back to the lodge, 1919, end of World War One, kind of like what happens at the end of most major wars, all of the uh, the money starts to uh, become a little tighter as they, they, they try to handle all the war debt. The installation needed a new post office. And neither the Department of the Post Office nor the War Department could afford to build a post office on post. And so someone from the lodge suggested to the local uh, congressman that the Masons would be happy to house the post office if they could build a building. And so by act of Congress, uh, the Appropriations Act for the War Department of 1920 allowed the Masons of Fort Leavenworth to build a lodge hall on the installation in conformance with the instructions uh, of the uh, Secretary of War if they housed the post office uh, as their rent-free tenant. And so to this day, most of the time when someone's trying to find the lodge hall, we tell them, oh, do you know where the post office is? And they'll go, oh, well, yes. Uh, the large sign next to the post office says this is the home of uh, Bowton Hall and the Masonic Lodge of uh, Fort Leavenworth. So if you just go in the door at the other end of the building, you'll be in lodge. And so we've got really a, a really nice uh Nice building, four stories. Uh, it's got a basement with a library and a recreation area, uh, Scottish Rite offices. Main floor has a dining hall for about, uh, the fire marshal tells us 220. Uh, you'd be real friendly at 220. You'd be kind of tight. Sure. Uh, and then we have the main lodge hall itself. And then we have uh, another story, which is uh, basically storage, Scottish Rite costumes, and then uh, a lot of other uh, interesting little pieces that are they're stored up in there. Uh, we just started a major renovation of the hall. Uh, we got it painted summer before last. This year, we removed the carpet. And you would never think that a carpet would be interesting historically. But one of the great challenges when we went to remove the carpet was we wanted to figure out when was it installed. You know, how, how many people have walked on this carpet? Right. So one of the older members uh, came back and he said, well, I joined the lodge in 1968 and the carpet was there in 68. And so somebody else is sitting around looking and 
doing some more research, one of the brothers brought in a uh, photograph that he had at home uh, from 1956. And in 1956, the carpet is clearly there. Then we found another set of pictures from the mid-1920s, 25, 26, and 27, and there was no carpet. There was a clearly a wooden floor uh, at that okay. time. And so we said, okay, so we're pretty sure that the carpet is installed sometime after 1926 and uh, clearly before 1956. So it's still an ongoing research project to find out exactly what year did that carpet get installed. It's been replaced now by a polyurethane wooden floor because when we removed the carpet, guess what? That beautiful wood floor was right there underneath it. And somewhere along the line, everybody decided that wood floors just weren't the way they ought to go. So they went to carpet. Definitely. And they're, they're definitely coming back into popularity now. So it's, <laughs> it's really cool you guys are taking those steps to uh, re, revitalize the, the history within that lodge and bring it back to life. That's, I commend you on that. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting folks. One of the other strange things that that is sort of unique in there is that we have within the lodge hall itself a norm a number of bronze memorial plaques, which were donated by members of the lodge to remember important members. So there's obviously one to Bowton, uh, and then there are uh, at least five others that are in there. Uh, that we're all part of uh, ongoing research projects uh, for why these guys uh, are there. In you know trying to figure out how did that ever get started, uh, discovered that it's actually an old military tradition back from the days of the the cavalry in the old west. People would uh, die; they obviously wouldn't be able to be sent home. Uh, but how do you uh, memorialize them at home? And what they would do is in public buildings where they were active or in their church, they would uh, would put up uh, brass plaques. Uh, there are well over a hundred of them uh, in one of the chapels on post. That's uh, about a block from the from the lodge hall, the oldest chapel on post. And there's well over a hundred of these plaques in there. Uh, a large number of them actually with uh, Masonic ties. So it's it's another one of my ongoing research projects. Very cool. Well, uh, it was, it's been a couple years, but I did have the pleasure of visiting your lodge. And I got to say, it was, it was amazing to be there, just to be within the walls. That, you know, so many influential people have sat there and, and uh, been, been a member there, visited that lodge. It's very cool. Um, getting to go downstairs and see some of the pictures on the walls from all through the years was quite fascinating. You see the, the old beards and stuff, and you can, just, you can sense the history of it. Um, I believe someone even told me at some point you guys had a bowling alley in there. Is that correct? Yeah, the correct. We have the original blueprints. When you went to the downstairs, of course, this was in the days before there was much recreation on uh, military installations. So there were four rooms originally downstairs. One of them was a shower room. Okay. Uh, so it, it had two shower stalls and then the, the rest of the accoutrements. Uh, there was a library and what was identified as a billiards room. Then as you look at the blueprints, and as you can still see on the floor, they had a little two-lane wooden bowling alley. Uh, and they, they, there's even in the, in the marks a place where uh, you can see the pin setter would set because it's the days before automatic pin setting, so somebody would have to sit down at the end and roll the ball back to you and uh, all that. Right. Um, 
it has a drop ceiling in that room now, but originally those were uh, 14 foot ceilings. So opposite the, uh, the bowling alley on the other side of the room, they had a boxing ring and then a weight setup so that you could go, uh, do, uh, lift weights and, and what have you in that. Wow. That's now the, the recreation and, and summer lodge, uh, it's another one of those great mysteries you can never find out about your building. When they air-conditioned the building, they air-conditioned the basement, they air-conditioned the dining hall. They did not air-condition the lodge hall. Therefore, in July and August, uh, we meet in the basement. <laughs> we don't go upstairs because it gets awfully hot up on the, the third floor uh, without air-conditioning because uh, heat rises not air conditioning so very true true. another one of the building association products but yes there there really was uh in there and we've got a complete set of all the original blueprints uh discovered a few years ago that the decorative molding on, on the outside of the lodge is all terracotta okay and um set in uh, you know decorative fascia set back uh, almost 12 feet into the roof are these terracotta uh, counterweights that was wow. real interesting we had one of them break and it fell and it's how we got into looking at it and trying to get it replaced and and all of that but you know fascinating uh, pieces and then of course uh, the walls of the lodge are concrete Bath, which uh, when you went to go to upgrade the electricity, it's always loads of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Fire marshal goes in and says, well, any floor of this building might burn, but the rest of it isn't going to burn because it's solid concrete between the floors. You don't see much of that anymore. Right. Uh, they don't build them like they used to. They, they sure. certainly don't. And it, yeah, but it's, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, this last year, we had a, uh, a visitor who was an expert on um, theatrical drops, and he was able to date the theatrical drops that we've got in the lodge the Scottish Rite uses uh, uh, to the uh, not period 1938. And he knew exactly the firm and said, yes, and here's what you need to look for. He says, two or three of these drops will be signed by the artist. And we have pulled them all down and looked for where that signature is. But uh, kind of fascinating you know, pieces. Somebody will come along and uh, help you identify where did this all come from. Definitely, definitely. Well, you know, a few years ago I was doing uh, low-voltage work and we had the, uh, the contract to do the security cameras on the uh, schools out there on the base. So I'd get to see these different, uh, you know, generals' faces and names and statues all over. And that was before I got to visit the lodge. But when I did get the chance to go in and visit the lodge, I was shocked. I had no idea that some of these famous generals were, let alone on that base at the same time, Freemasons, and then they went through the same Scottish Rite class. Astounded me. It's very cool history into being the building where they once were. Uh, was a great honor and very cool to do. Uh, for brothers that would want to or have the opportunity to come visit your lodge, how hard is it to um, visit being on a military base? Okay, uh, it was a little, you know, for the few, first few years after 9-11, it was fairly challenging. Uh, generally, sure. I would have suggested in those days that you contact the lodge and we'd arrange to meet you off the grounds and, and bring you on. Now it's much, much simpler. You go to the Fort Leavenworth uh, main homepage 
uh, on the internet and over on the right hand side I think it says rapid access or rapid gate and since you'd probably be coming uh, after normal duty hours what you do is you download a, a form off there fill it out tell them what days and times you're coming and then just email it back to uh, to those folks. Uh, they would then send you a, a confirmation that yes, you're you're cleared to uh, to enter the installation. Then when you arrive, you go in through the the main gate on Grant Avenue, and you would enter in the rightmost lane. It's marked commercial, but okay. it's the it's the right of the the multi-access gain. And you come up there, and you just have to have your driver's license. And just say, hey, I'm I'm coming to uh, to uh, lodge here, and uh, you know I've submitted my rapid access, and the guy would have your pass in the car there for you, hand it to you, and you you could uh, just go on through. Now, if you know it becomes one of those spur of the moment things, it, you can get on the post, uh, but it takes a lot longer. They search your car, and they have to run a quick check on you. Uh, while you do that. There is a visitor center if you come in during duty hours that will do all of it and it's pretty comfortable. Takes 15 or 20 minutes unless you come like right after lunch or first thing in the morning when all of the vendors and folks that are trying to bring things on post are also trying to get on. Normally you can get on 10 to 15 minutes uh, that way. Sure. Again, if, if somebody want, wants to come, if they just uh, contact the lodge through the uh, the lodge Either the the website or the Facebook page, um, send an email uh, to the secretary. Uh, they can work out, you know, if there's a group that we can come out, pick you up, and and bring you on. Then it's a lot quicker if you've got an ID and you're you're being escorted in. But we do, we love to have visitors. Um, it's a fairly active lodge. Um, generally. Uh, we'll do degree work at least once or twice a month, so there's always an opportunity. Uh, again, it's best to check either the Facebook page or uh, the website uh, to find out what we're doing. Uh, we just had day before yesterday, it was the fifth Thursday, we meet first and third Thursdays. So any month with the fifth Thursday, we always have an off-post dinner. So they had a big lodge okay. dinner off-post uh, there. First meeting of the month, there is generally a dinner, um, and it starts at six. Lodge starts at seven. Uh, it's very informal. It's served by the local uh, Job's daughters. Uh, it's kind of one of their fundraisers that we help them with. Wonderful. Uh, and we, uh, you know, come in and uh, come by and enjoy some fellowship after lodge. There's also generally a social hour down in the library where everybody talks about everything that they just spent an hour or two talking about. But again, you know, love to have some uh, company and, and come join that. And it, it keeps fellowship. You get a chance, maybe some guys you didn't get to meet during the meeting, you get a chance to chit-chat with them for a while. Definitely. Well, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us today and bringing all this knowledge of your lodge and uh, your your history in general. You've had a, a very accomplished Masonic career, so we're very excited to have you on and to share some of this history with us today. I would definitely encourage anybody that has the opportunity to visit Hancock Lodge. You know, I've, I've been there before. I definitely uh, want to get back soon and revisit it again. It's a very impressive lodge, and it's very cool just to, just to be there and witness the history firsthand. So, Brother Merrick, thank you so much again for joining us. And if you want to shoot out, you guys have a website, or what is the best way uh, for people to get in contact uh, with you? The, the 
probably the best way is e is probably get the email from the website, which is Hancock Lodge 311 Fort Leavenworth. Okay. But uh, you can also uh, they kind of the secretary and, and several of the members monitor the Facebook page, so you could send a Facebook message. Uh, Facebook we really use more as interlodge communication, so everybody who being a military lodge, there are a lot of members who don't live in the local area, and it's a way that they can stay connected. So there's generally a lot of pictures and things that have happened rather than things that are happening. So of course. I would go through the web, and it's great fun. I obviously love to talk about the lodge. I, I encourage everyone out there, every lodge has great stories. Yes. Um I just finished an article on a fellow out of Washington Lodge in Atchison, uh, who uh, another Medal of Honor winner, uh, who got it for capturing a flag off of a riverboat, and it's it's sort of okay. How did this guy get on a riverboat during the Civil War? And, it, and it's fascinating. And yeah. You know, Again, every place has great stories, Just and we need to share them with each other. Indeed. So thank you for the opportunity. Yes, thank you so much. And we will get those links posted on our site as well, uh, so you can easily obtain those there. And uh, like I said, definitely uh, take the opportunity if you have, especially if you're military yourself, to come through the base and make sure you visit that lodge. You, you won't regret it. But Right Worshipful Merrick, thank you again so much, and we will talk to you soon. Okay, have a great day. You as well, brother. What an amazing history. I want to thank Right Worshipful Merrick one more time for coming on the show and allowing me to have that conversation with him. Any of you that know him personally, uh, you really can't deny he's got this deep passion for history in general uh, with some great stories and tells them so well. So thank you again, brother. I really enjoyed it and enjoyed uh, sitting down and having that conversation with you. Now, brothers, any of you that may be here locally or have the chance to pass through in the future, I want to urge you to go check out Hancock Lodge. I've been there before and I can tell you firsthand, it's one of those places, as soon as you walk in the front door, um, you really wish those walls could talk to you. Uh, so many influential brothers have walked those halls before and sat in those lodge seats that being there in person is really an experience of all its own that you don't want to miss out on. So if you ever have the opportunity, please go check out that lodge. Now, we'll continue tonight's topic on our Facebook group. That's the Historical Light Masonic Research Group. If you're not a member there already, please go click join. It's open to all. Um, we have some brothers there from all across the world, so we get some really great topics going on on a daily basis. And we also continue our show topics there as well. So if you enjoyed tonight's show, um, go drop your two cents. We want to see that conversation keep going, and uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Now, recently within our Facebook group, I put on a Facebook challenge. And within that challenge, I asked everybody to get out their cell phone cameras, um, webcams, whatever means you have to record a short video of yourself. And what I wanted you to do is record a video of you answering, why did you become a Freemason? Now, we've gotten some great responses in already, and what we're going to do is put some of those into the episodes going forward. So if you haven't already, definitely uh, take the opportunity to record your answer for that, or even an elder brother from your lodge. Uh, this is a great opportunity to... Um, share, preserve, and honor those uh, those memories before they're lost forever. So definitely record that and send it in, and you just might see it on a Historical Light episode moving forward. So let's jump over and see one of those replies now. Hey, good morning, brothers. Uh, this is Frank Scrobot of uh, Lawrenceville Lodge, number 131 in uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia. Uh, I was raised on January 3rd of 2017, so I'm 
very fresh. Um, what brought me to masonry? I am a uh, huge American history buff, and of course, no one can deny the parallels that happen uh, or that occur in uh, early American history with some of our most influential Americans uh, being masons. Um, so that kind of brought me to wonder what masonry was, um, and then when uh, actually b before that, when I was five years old. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and I went to the Scottish Rite Children's Hospital here in Atlanta and uh, I, you know, I had no clue what Scottish Rite was until um, I then met a, a buddy, a friend of mine that I worked with. Uh, this is about going back about seven years and um, you know, I, I noticed he had the square and compass on a ring and so I asked him, I said, you know, hey, what's, uh, what's masonry all about? And he said, what do you want to know? And it just kind of snowballed from there. And over the course of the next couple of years, I kept finding these uh, these good people that I knew uh, or worked with in my life that were, you know, all just kind of happened to be Masons, right? So I had this group of, of very influential and positive people in my life. Um, I still molded over a little bit. I read Freemasonry for Dummies. And then uh, about two years ago, I decided to become a Mason. And uh, my path was a little bit bumpy. I... I had to switch lodges based on locations so um, while it was a two-year wait from making the decision to be a mason to January 3rd of this year um, it's been well worth it's been well worth the wait and um, I've loved every minute of being a mason since you know I've uh, I've taken an active role in my lodge to try and bring in education and um, other things and uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning the floor work and, uh, you know, I'm going to learn the staircase ritual or staircase lecture. So it's, um, yeah, it's been exciting and, uh, I'm just very happy to be a Mason. Uh, I'm a very positive person. So I think we can, uh, you know, we can bring to Masonry what we want from Masonry and, uh, learn, you know, uh, learn the things that we came to learn and, um, without, you know, without taking away the fellowship and other things that a lot of people enjoy. So, um, that's my story, uh, in a, in a nutshell. Uh, I, uh, thanks brother Alex powers for putting this together. It's a great opportunity to share my story and, uh, hopefully everyone else does the same. Have a good day. Brother Frank, thank you so much for taking part in the Historical Light Facebook challenge and sending in your video reply. It was great to hear from you. I hope the rest of you follow suit and send in your video replies as well. Now, I want to open this up to affiliate bodies as well. So whether you're Eastern Star, uh, Job's Daughters, Demolay, Rainbow Girls, whatever it is, send in your video reply. Why did you join? We'd love to hear from you and love to hear your responses. So we hope to hear from you guys soon. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode, and we will see you next time as we continue our quest for historical light. Have a wonderful day.